Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn, we're going to start in Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 43 and 45, through 45, and then we're going to be in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And uh, as you heard in my prayer, we're in this series called Discipled, and we're looking at the traits or the characteristics of what does it look like to be a disciple. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got ushers coming down the aisles. Um, You can borrow one this morning. You can keep it if you need it. Thanks for being here this morning in person and, and those who are joining us online and those in traditions and in kindred. So first of all, I wanna talk about this, check the tree. So we're gonna talk about tree and then we're gonna talk about fruit. Uh, check the tree, Luke 6, 43 through 45. And this morning we're looking at displays the fruit of the spirit regularly. That's one of the, the characteristics or the traits of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It displays the fruit of the spirit regularly. Check the tree. Luke 6, 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. Others have said it like this. You don't get wormy apples off of a healthy tree, nor good apples off of a diseased tree. The health of the people tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say or do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. So he uses this analogy of figs and grapes, and they were the two of the main agricultural products of Israel, so they they could relate, and we understand it, and Jesus used them as an example, so so no one would misunderstand what it is that he's trying to teach or what it is he's trying to say. A person knows a tree by its fruit. He begins by stating the obvious, good trees don't produce bad fruit and vice versa. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. Jesus was using what was familiar teaching style called positive and negative. Fruit was used as a metaphor for both character and for conduct, both internal and external. What I think about people and then how I treat people By the way, what you think about a person will come out in the way that you behave or the way that you treat that person. You cannot uh, keep that from what you think about a person. It eventually will come out. And so he was using the idea of good and bad trees and good and bad fruit, reminded us that this method of character and this method of conduct can be used in determining falseness, maybe in teachers, you can use this, or in fellow believers or just people in your lives. Someone can make a claim about who they are. And they can also fake their claim through their behavior by pretending to be someone that doesn't align with their true character. So a person's character is always backed up by their conduct, even though conduct can be faked for a time. In other words, the way you treat somebody or or the external or the way that you behave can, can be faked for a time, but fake conduct is not sustainable because a person's character will always win out over time. You can say a lot about the tree. In other words, you can say a lot about your character or someone's character, but the fruit will always tell the truth. So you can say, I have this amazing character, but the fruit will be the evidence because it never lies. 
The true condition of your heart will always produce fruit that matches, so good impressions that are false will not last. Another way to think of it is like this. The way a person acts and the things that come out of their mouth will reveal their true underlying beliefs. It will reveal their, their attitudes and their motivations. So the word authenticity comes to my mind. So the idea of consistency between what we claim and who we are. That's what it means to be authentic, this consistency. So authenticity reveals while hypocrisy hides. Authenticity involves a journey. You can't just wake up one morning and say, well, I'm just gonna be this authentic person. I have this incredible character and my conduct's going to perfectly match. Authenticity involves a journey. It's a journey of pain sometimes. It's a journey of suffering. It's definitely a journey of obedience as we die to ourselves. So authenticity and brokenness are often used in the same sentence. So what is all of this telling us? A fake tree will produce fake or plastic fruit. It may look good from a distance, but it's not real. The source from which it came from is fake. To live a truly authentic life requires a couple of things. One, a healthy tree, in other words, a healthy character that's been shaped through scripture and through the Holy Spirit, and it also involves healthy fruit, which is the conduct and which is the way you behave, the way you treat people. We cannot get there on our own. The craving of our flesh and the lust of our eyes keep us believing that there's more outside of God, and so we keep trying it on our own. And the fruit will always be fake, it will always be plastic, if the character or the tree is not real. Authenticity requires dying to self. John 12, 24 and 25, Eugene Peterson writes it like this. He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to this life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. So summarizing kind of the, this first idea, this first point is good tree equals good fruit, bad tree equals bad fruit. Authenticity cannot be faked and it requires death to self and life in Christ. The fruit points to the tree. Look at the fruit, look at the fruit in your life, look at the fruit in other people's lives. It will always point to the tree, the character. The fruit points to the tree and the tree points to the roots. We're either rooted in this world or we're rooted in Christ. John 15, five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain rooted in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So whether you're curious about your own life or someone else's life and you're, and you're like, how am I doing? Or, or how is that person doing? Check the tree. Is your or their character intact and being shaped by Christ or is it being shaped by worldly influences? Who is shaping your character? And so while it's not up to us to determine a person's salvation, like we can't just walk around and go, yeah, I think they're saved or they're not saved or this person's saved, or, I know that person's not saved. In the same way, it's not up to someone else to determine our salvation. We can, we can make general observations, right? 
based on the fruit that we see. So we can look at the fruit in our own lives and in somebody else's life and make general observations, not we can't determine uh, for sure like that person's saved or not saved, but we can say it's obvious that the Lord is working in that person's life. So if someone says, I am a believer and I'm a follower of Christ, yet their fruit is rotten. In other words, their, their conduct, the way that they're behaving, the way they treat people. If their fruit is rotten, there is a reason to be concerned. But also keep in mind when someone comes to Christ, their entire fruit basket is not suddenly luscious, right? Some of their conduct is still catching up. It's being changed to their new root system. And so it's called grace. And so we offer people grace. And I ask you, offer me grace. In the same way God extends grace to us, as we're being transformed, we offer grace to one another because each of us are being transformed. And over time, their or, or maybe our fruit basket is emptied of rotten fruit and is replenished with healthy fruit. So that the tree, the source, and the fruit, fruit. Secondly, test the fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Maybe you're familiar with these couple of verses. But the fruit of the Spirit, maybe you know this, say it with me if you know it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance in some translations, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have been reminded that the tree and the fruit will always be consistently the same, either authentically good or inauthentically bad. So fruit of the world, manufactured fruit, or fake fruit. So you can meet somebody and say, wow, uh, I say, look at their conduct. Um, it looks like that they're a loving person and they have patience and they're kind and they're good and that sort of thing. But where's the source? Where is that, that fruit being uh, manufactured from? So it could be fruit from the world or fruit from the spirit, right? That is refined, developed through pruning. The world doesn't prune you. Christ through the spirit will prune you. Love. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, John 13. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another, your love for me, my love for you, for each other, will prove to the world, this watching world, this skeptical world that's looking in on us as believers, will prove to the world that we are disciples. 1 Corinthians teaches us many things about love, but there are two of them that I wanna point out. So in 1 Corinthians, as we, as we think about this topic of love, it says this, we can do all of the wonderful things, we can do all of the wonderful religious things, but if we don't have love, we are like this annoying, clanging symbol. The fruit of love is patient, it is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. I want you to listen to these. The fruit of love is patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. This love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. First Corinthians teaches us in chapter 13. So the fruit of love is more than this ooey gooey feeling inside, this fuzzy feeling that we get inside, right? It involves a deep transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us. How else could we ever love sacrificially in the way that Christ loved? And unselfishly putting other people's needs ahead of our own as Philippians teaches us. How else could we possibly do that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit transforming us? In 1 John, we're warned that a person who does not love others cannot say that they love God. So you cannot have people in your life or believers in your life and say, I don't love them, and then turn around and say, oh, but I love God. That's what it's teaching us. How would it be possible for a person to say, I love God, and yet out of the same mouth say, I do not love another brother or sister in Christ? John says, it's a ridiculous statement to say we do not love another person whom we have seen, whom we have interacted with, whom we have rubbed shoulders with, and then turn around and say we love God whom we have not seen. Authentic love is the fruit of a disciple. Joy. Isn't it great to walk into church and to see all the smiles as people come in? I, I love that. I love standing in the back greeting. Um, as you're coming in, uh, not everybody's smiling always when you go out. I, maybe that's conviction, I don't know. I'll just, I'll chalk it up to that. But everyone at church always seems so happy. There have been times that I have come to church and you would have thought that I was the happiest person alive. Yet inside, I was struggling, frustrated, Miserable, just finished winning another spat with Lori. <laughs> Praise Jesus, right? We're good at fooling other people. We're so good at fooling other people. Even for a good amount of time. But you know what? But all of us know that God cannot be fooled. And so he waits, offering to us a deep inner joy that comes only through the Holy Spirit. We've all jumped on the happy train, traveling from one fix to the next, hoping to make the sadness or the, or the loneliness or the misery or frustration go away, at least for a time. How does that song go? I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. God gave us the Holy Spirit not to make us happy, but to make us joyful, to, to develop this fruit within us. Joy comes from hope. Maybe you remember last week when I talked about, I encouraged us to, to hitch our lives to hope that leads to perseverance. And hope that leads to perseverance is that staying power. It's staying in the race. What is hope? It is the result of having Christ sitting on the throne of your life. The more our lives become consumed by God's grace and God's plan, the more joy that we're going to experience. And there's this direct correlation between our level of joy and our understanding of what hope truly is. And the more we understand our hope to be in Christ, 
and his promises and his word, the greater joy we will have in our hearts and in our lives. So joy is the result of the Holy Spirit showing us what it means to be content. What what it means to have hope no matter what is happening to us and around us. Happiness, friends, you know, we went through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is unshakable. Authentic joy is a fruit of a disciple. Peace, Paul said in Philippians, and the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many times when I'm praying for people, I will pray for wisdom beyond ourselves. I will pray for for peace that is beyond ourselves, that transcends us. Peace, greater peace than we could ever possibly come up with. We pray for the peace that transcends our understanding, that will guard our hearts. The word guard is this military term. It means to surround, it means to protect. The peace of God offers through the Holy Spirit. It's like a guard, this peace. Imagine this peace is like a guard who guarded a city from attack. Only this time it's your heart and it's your minds. Do you ever need peace? God provides us through the Holy Spirit protection from outside attacks that causes all kinds of turmoil, conflict, anxiousness within. Peace. The Holy Spirit offers a peace that cannot be explained by this world because it surpasses anybody's understanding. Your greatest understanding of peace is nowhere close. No matter what you have, what you have gone through, going through, will go through, the peace of God will sustain you. I don't know if you experience life like this, but sometimes Life can pile up on us. The little hill last night, today, seems like a mountain. And we get anxious and we worry because the things that are in our immediate sight are way more than we can handle. They're out of control. And when we're forced with mountains in our lives, all we can do is wonder what the other side of that mountain, what is it gonna look like? What is it gonna feel like? What are we gonna experience on the other side of that mountain? And we want peace. We want the mountain to just absolutely crumble. We get anxious because we attempt to climb the mountain on our own. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, when I lay my head on my pillow at night, our heart and our mind can go into overdrive. Isn't it true that when things slow down from the day, we start processing, we start thinking, we start worrying, spinning out of control. And the fruit of the Spirit is promised to us, the Holy Spirit. Have you ever just right then just pause and say, I need peace that transcends what I am capable of. Authentic peace is a fruit of a disciple. Patience. Patience is a fruit of the spirit that allows us to remain calm. It allows us to remain peaceful even when things are out of control, even when things are not going our way. When our patience runs out, someone in our path usually gets hurt. Whether it be through words that we speak, through our actions, as we impatiently show frustration, as we impatiently show disappointment. And when we lack patience, 
we tend to rather than own our feelings and our experiences and our actions, we blame others. Your idiocracy made me feel this way. We blame our boss, we blame coworkers, we blame friends, neighbors, kids, spouse, family. We lose patience with people when they don't act and think as perfectly as we think that they should, when they fall short of the standard that we have set, when they make mistakes and, and don't do things the right way, our way, and when they're taking too long, and when they don't do what we have asked them to do, and when they forget to do something, we mostly lose patience with others because they are not as perfect as we are. Isn't that really where patience comes into play? We are most patient with people who are, who are nearly as perfect as us. We're most impatient with people when they lack the perfection that we attain. And so we turn to judgment, constantly find people's shortfalls, find ourselves talking more about another's weaknesses than their strengths jumping to conclusions regarding another person's decisions or their actions, unwilling to hear the whole story, having unreal expectations, seeing them for who they are right now instead of for who they could become in Christ. So we turn to judgment, right? Instead of patience, which is the ability to see and focus on people's strengths. Taking the time to research the situation before we jump to conclusions. Thinking the best of a situation, a willingness to listen, allowing God to hold the standard of perfection, seeing a person for who they are in Christ. Authentic patience is a fruit of disciple. Kindness, I like to define kindness like this, intentionally doing something in Jesus' name, regardless of the cost or the consequence to oneself. It's to give to another person when we don't have to. It's to be polite and courteous when everyone else is being a jerk. It's to show mercy when we're not expected to, to love when we're not required to, to forgive when it's not expected. So the idea behind the word kindness is a, is a disposition showing that we are pleased or it's this calmness of spirit, an unruffled disposition. And the work of the Holy Spirit in us corrects an irritable disposition and makes the heart kind. Authentic kindness is a fruit of a disciple. Goodness, what is goodness? We've been told and taught to try harder, to do more, to, to act like this, or to resist that, or to say these certain words, all in the name of becoming a good person. Well intended, but way short of what God has in mind for us, right? Remember, if we, if we start off evil, right, and we spend our entire lifetime working towards being spiritually good, then the Holy Spirit is absolutely required. We cannot do this on our own, right? What we try to accomplish with so much effort in the flesh cannot be accomplished. You cannot be a good person. Because then the question always is raised, how good is good enough? When do you actually reach it? Our goodness is measured by the good works we do. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Authentic goodness is a fruit of a disciple. Faithfulness. Part of the Holy Spirit growing the fruit of faithfulness in you first means that you allow the Holy Spirit to convince you of God's unfailing faithfulness 
and unquestionable faithfulness towards you. Have you rested there? Are you resolved there? Do you know that he's faithful towards you? Yes? God's faithfulness is complete. It's unchanging. When we say that God is faithful, here's what we're saying. Do you know what you're saying when you say, my God is faithful? You've been in the room when you say, hey, let's, let's, let's do this popcorn thing and throw out all kinds of characteristics about God. He's faithful. Well, what does that mean? What does it actually mean when we say that he's faithful? This is what it means. It means that his character is working at full capacity at all times. That's what it means. His love never fails as an example. Never, not one time has his love ever failed you. He's never less holy. His forgiveness never runs out. His grace is always sufficient. He has kept his word and has remained true to every single one of his promises in his word. And we know that a history of God's faithfulness allows for a future of trust as we move forward, right? Unfaithfulness is sadly, uh, has sadly become uh, the norm in our culture. How many people could you, like if you took out a piece of paper and said, hey, write on a piece of paper all the people that you know that, that are faithful, that their character is working at full capacity at all times, like are faithful. Faithful to the word, faithful to their promises, their commitments, their, their marriage, their relationships to God. We can completely depend on God because of his faithfulness and it's been proved to us time and time again. To be a person found faithful, we must first know God's faithfulness and also allow the Holy Spirit to develop in us a Christ-like faithfulness. So faithfulness runs much deeper than a person showing up at the time that, hey, I say I'd be there at eight, I'm, I'm there at 7.59, right? It's a character trait that has been tried and it's been tried through and through. It involves integrity and fairness and commitment and consistency and staying true to your word and, and fulfilling your promises and making vows and keeping them. That's what faithfulness is. And the Holy Spirit wants to develop that in you. Authentic faithfulness is a fruit of the disciple. Gentleness. Jesus says, I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. The word gentle carries with it this interesting uh, definition of this idea. It's similar meaning to, to the word meekness. It's a picture of a wild animal being tamed, like a stallion that has been brought into subjection of his master. So Jesus says, take my yoke, remember this passage, Matthew 11, take my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle. So think of it like this. In the flesh, we're all like wild animals, right? who unless we're tamed, will naturally not be very gentle in our words, in our actions, the way we care for people, the way we treat people. But the opposite of gentleness is harshness, cruelty, bitterness, being blunt or brash or rude or snippy or short or rough or abusive. Authentic gentleness is a fruit of the disciple. And the last one is self-control. It is the fruit that allows us as followers of Christ to walk in the world, but not allow our garment to be marked by the world. It is to keep your mouth shut when everything in you wants to say something that would cause at minimum hurt and probably harm. 
It's to keep your actions in check when your flesh wants to react. It's to honor and respect. It's to not retaliate. It's to say no to the things that are hurting a relationship. It's to find balance in life, allowing the time and energy necessary for a healthy relationship. Self-control is to not respond negatively. It is to resist the desire to control everything, to not constantly criticize, to not say, I told you. It's to not hold something against another as much as you might think that you should or that it feels good to do so. You can certainly see why self-control is sometimes the hardest and the slowest developing fruit for many. It runs completely cross-grained to everything that we experience in our flesh, what our flesh wants to do. Authentic self-control is a fruit of a disciple. So far in this series, Discipled, we've talked about three traits or um, markers or indicators of what a disciple is. First, we talked about regularly being in God's word and in prayer. How many of you, just out of curiosity, anybody tried the one minute challenge? You don't wanna raise your hand, do you? You're like, no, I jumped right to 20 minutes, right? Okay, remember the challenge? Try it. Regularly worship with God's people last week. And today, a discipled person displays the fruit of the Spirit. God, thanks for your word this morning. And thank you, Lord, that um, we are all growing. We're all on the journey. None of us have arrived. And we all need to be reminded um, of what it means to be a follower of yours, what that looks like, what it sounds like, what people experience from us. And there's no better way to talk about that than to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and, the whole, and, and only the Holy Spirit can do in us. It's not the fruit of the world that we wake up in the morning and we just try really hard. I'm gonna be a better person today. I'm gonna love more. I'm gonna find joy. I'm gonna create peace. Lord, we cannot do it. It's not sustainable, nor is it meant to be. This is a transforming work that happens as the Holy Spirit changes us. Thank you, Lord, for the new life that we have in you and for what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, amen.